Welcome to Managing Marketing and we're in New York City, a long way from home and I've actually run into an old friend from Sydney, Matt Baxter, Global Chief Strategy and Creative Officer at IPG Media Brands. Welcome Matt. Hi Darren. Great to see you. You're Good looking fabulous you. by the way. Thank you. Obviously this job uh, really suits you. Well, maybe. I've also managed to stay off the American food, which is <laughs> probably part of the reason. Yeah, look, I think they've mistaken quantity for quality. They have. They have. It's, it's throughout the whole city that exists, let me tell you. It's hard getting a healthy sandwich in this town. Look, um, one of the reasons that uh, I really wanted to catch up with you is that you have a long track record and a long history of being particularly good at business development and business building. You know, right back from the Icon days through Mediacom, then uh, UM, and now at uh, IPG Media Brands. Yeah. I'm just wondering, without giving away your secret sauce, because I wouldn't ask anyone to give away the special 11 herbs and spices, sure. but what do you think it is that you do that a lot of people overlook in new business? Or what is the attitude or philosophy that you bring to the process that sure. makes you so successful at that? Uh I mean, it's a tough thing to, to, to put your finger on specifically. I mean, it's kind of always weird when you have to self-analyse and wonder what it is that you're doing that maybe is successful. I think probably the simplest way of explaining it is knowing your audience. And I know that sounds like a really obvious thing. We talk to our clients the whole time about understanding who it is that you're targeting and who you're, who you're ultimately going to be communicating with. I think it's an enormously unusual for agencies to do their history checking with who it is they're actually presenting to. So we spend a lot of time in the lead up to a pitch actually trying to understand who the clients in the room are going to be, what the things that uh, those people in the room will be looking for, the types of things that they might be interested in. Um, there's a huge amount of technology that now exists online. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure whether you've heard of a, a system called Crystal Nose. Yes, I use it. Uh, but, but, you know, things like Crystal Nose, technology that's now... Well, it now tells you it tells how you, to communicate correct, with it someone. It tells you... Yeah, this person likes short bits of yeah, information. Absolutely. This person likes to get to absolutely. know you first. Yeah. So I think that, that, you know, understanding your audience and using all of the things that are now available out there to be able to prepare for the audience that you're going to be presenting to is really important. So I think that's a, that's a critical part. Yeah, Matt, you, you say that's obvious, but I have to tell you, I've sat through hundreds of pitches yep. and I see the same people turning up and doing the same presentation in the same way every time yep. and wondering why it doesn't work yep. every time. Yep. So, look, it's not that obvious. Is there anything else? Is there a... Uh, look, the, the other thing is pa just packaging, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know... The, and it leads on to kind of knowing your audience, which is about packaging then for the audience that you that, that you know you're presenting to. But some people like things to be really detailed and go into the kind of the, the, the rigor and the analysis. Other people are very visual and want to be spoken to in a really, in a, in a visual and an and a, and a image-based way. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things we've, we've done successfully over the last five, six years is understand how to blend the detail with the inspirational higher level storytelling. The so big picture the big with, picture the, with yeah, the deep, you know, getting into the grass. Dotting the I's yeah, and crossing yeah, the teeth. Yeah, yeah, getting into the grass when you need to get into the grass mm. to explain something. Yeah. But also remembering you're selling something, right? Like a pitch is just one big sales presentation. Mm. And when you're selling, you want to get your buyer excited. Like It's like selling anything, right? When you sell a car, you don't, you don't go into the detail around the exact 
uh, horsepower that the engine's got and how many liters the the capacity of the engine is and um, yeah, how many zoom zoom yeah, yeah correct you you get in you sell the emotion of buying the car right and, and buying an agency or buying really just a bunch of people that represent an agency that's an emotional buy for a mm. client it still is an emotional buy it, it, no matter what any client says with all the criteria and the metric there is still a an element of that client walking in and, and making an assessment on the people and saying could I work with these people and are these people the kinds of people that I would enjoy working with? So if you can make yeah. them buy that, then you tend to do well on, on the conversion front. That's, uh, that's uh, fascinating because there's a, a book I love called Pitch Anything. By, I'll get his name wrong. It's Oren Leift or Oren right. or something. Right. He was in Silicon Valley pitching startups for years. And he says you have to appeal to the buyer's crocodile reptilian brain that it's all emotion and it's all either fear or desire you need to get adrenaline and you need to get the endorphins pumping at the same time and he says you need both because if you just make someone feel good mm. then they just feel good but they won't make a decision yep. then you've got to hit them with the adrenaline rush which is if I don't buy now I'm actually going to lose out and he says that combination but he said as soon as you go to that higher area and start being logical and and yep and swamping them with data and, <laughs> and things like that, then they lose all of that emotional connection. Absolutely. I, I, I completely buy into that. And I think the most, success, the most successful pitches we've ever done are pitches generally where after the first meeting, we kind of know we've, we've had the human connection where yeah. the client's gelled with us, we've gelled with the client, and you instinctively know they're buying the people. They want you. And then what happens from there on in is you just making sure you don't make any mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't screw it don't up. Don't screw it up as opposed well, to having to win it. Outright, okay, you know? so here's the other thing I've seen so many agencies do is they win it and then they keep trying to sell and they lose it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that, 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 I mean, that's like anything, right, isn't it? I mean, it, it, the art of selling, you kind of, you have to sell just enough to make someone want to buy. But yeah. if you oversell, the reverse starts to happen and they start to say, well, why are you pushing so hard for me to buy this? And then they become overly cautious about the decision and then often... They, they step back and, and, and potentially walk away from, from buying you. So I think a lot of agencies have a tendency to, to overplay their hand. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got to, you know, it's like anything, it's like dating. You know, when, when you date, you know, if you, if you, 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 you've got a romance. I use this analogy <laughs> a lot, by the way, dating. <laughs> you've, got to, you've got a romance enough to, to, to get your partner interested. But if you start to become too keen, and you start to flood them with way too many SMS messages and way too many, yeah. they, they start to get maybe a little bit scared. Yeah, because so you, you suddenly <laughs> become a bit stalkerish. Yeah. So, but yeah. Do you think that we may have touched on why, because one of my frustrations is that while marketers spend a hell of a lot more money with their media agency, mm. they seem to have a hell of a lot more passion and commitment to their creative agencies. And is it because that it's more emotional or there's a bigger emotional component mm. with creative and content than there is with media and channel? Because I don't see many media agencies creating the same sort of passion Mm. as um, creative agencies have. Yeah, I think, look, the creative agencies have always had, perceptually at least, I mean, not in my mind because I'm a media guy and I always have been, but I think perceptually creative agencies have always had the sexier product. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the product that, you, you know, clients get excited about going into the creative agency. What are they going to present, you know, and, and what ideas am I going to see? And it's all put together beautifully and there's normally a, a montage reel with a soundtrack and, you know, they put the big screen on and it's a visceral experience and, you know, and, and, and that's exciting. And that, that gets attention not only from the marketing department, but it o- often gets attention from the senior management of the client, yeah. which media, despite the fact a lot of money is spent on it, actually quite worryingly often doesn't get that attention. The CEO for a big bank will go and watch the pitch for the 45 second or 60 second TVC and will have a point of view about that, but they won't turn up at the presentation of how uh, the media agency is planning on spending the bank's $120 million budget for the year, right? <laughs> that, 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 so that, there's, a, there's, so an irony, there's an irony in that mm. on its own. But, you know, the creative agencies have always been at the artistic end of town for the marketers, and I think marketers enjoy being part of that process. So so they get excited about it. It's up to media people, and this is a big part of why we've constantly been talking about pivoting media to being not just about being rigorous and, and, and analytical and doing the things that are expected in media when you're handling a client's you know, large budget, um, but also about media being creatively minded, right? Media can be as sexy, in my mind in 2016 can be more sexy than the creative process and the creative product because media is everything around us. Like media is culture. Media is what's happening with Netflix. Media is what's happening in the digital space. Media is what's happening with VR and Facebook's new um, social platform initiative. So th- there's all these things going on in media that is super interesting. The thing that media agencies aren't good at doing is packaging it up and making it interesting. Yeah, because super interesting. They're, yeah, they're, 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 they are, they're relatively kind of benign in the sense that they're like big large accounting firms like it's the thing i always used to joke about when i first started in media which is you've got to get clients out of us being the calculator brigade you know where we walk around and kind of punch numbers into our calculator say no you can't afford to do that no 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 and media agencies are very good at saying no you know no no to clients but also no to creatives Mm. why you can't afford that big ad idea or why you can't afford to do that double page spread or that big cinema ad because that they were constantly trying to control creativity through through maths. Mm. And my view is actually the role of media is to unleash creativity mm. through supporting creative agencies and clients mm. and making ideas even bigger. Well, when we got that distinction, I think it's more than 10 years ago, about owned, earned and bought mm. media, suddenly media is a much broader opportunity than just what have we paid for because you know the owned space is hugely you know this is where we get into virtual reality but also you know if you extend that it's into the customer database it's into the customer experience it's into if it's a retailer bricks and mortar you know these are all owned media opportunities and then we've got the earned which is all the social media and all of the opportunities there but still in pictures I see a lot of um, media agencies only sticking to the bought part of it. it. It's almost like they can't redefine themselves beyond just planning and buying media when, as you pointed out earlier, media in this decade, yeah. this century, has become so much more than just buying media. Look, I, I, you're right. I mean, the, the, the interesting and exciting part of media particularly is in the emerging areas of owned and, and earned and shared assets. Yep. And actually, if you ask, there have been a number of studies done globally around 
the, the intentions of CMOs in terms of how budgets will be divided and spent into the future. And almost all CMOs of major organisations are saying they intend to support owned and earned assets at a more aggressive rate year on year into the future than they're currently supporting paid. So the growth is in owned and earned. Yep. And actually, media agencies need to pivot from being media planning companies to being kind of ecosystem planning company, companies yep. that link all these disparate things together mm-hmm. and actually make the whole effort of media, and I mean media in that broader sense of the word, work together in a better way than it has historically. The thing about media agencies and the reason I think they struggle to do that is because you go back to what you're comfortable with. Mm. And more importantly, you go back to the things you make money on. Mm. So media agencies are, in many respects, victims of their own commercial model in the sense that if you look at the commission structure and you look at the way that media agencies derive their revenue, they derive their revenue most easily, not not exclusively, but Mm. most easily historically from just booking media. It's where the relationships exist. It's where legacy commission exists. Mm. So it's like, how do I how do I move this money through my organisation as a media agency as quickly and, and as efficiently as possible? Mm. And then the answer to that is, I book media. I, I buy it from somebody. The minute that agency has to manage that media through, uh, say, project managing an owned asset yeah. or generating an earned media um, uh, momentum through it, Suddenly, the, the, the manpower, the resource required, the brain power required mm. to transact on that becomes disproportionately large. inefficient. Yeah, yeah large Well, and it looks large compared to the total value. I mean, totally. this yeah. is one of the things that, uh, you know, a, and a constant disagreement I have with a lot of procurement people because they look at a media uh, uh, expenditure, and let's pick the mythical $100 million as a nice round number, and they go, well, look, we're paying 3% of that mm. as the fee, and that's the addressable part. We know we can squeeze that down. And I go, is that really a smart... So-? Yeah, and, and that's what they're looking at. They look at the fee for the agency as a proportion of the total spent. So you're right, when you get into owned assets, suddenly that might come up to 40% or 50% or Absolutely. even 80% because you're doing a lot of the work. So there's a big question mark over it and it looks more addressable. But the thing that annoys me is that even at 3%, and they go, well, we could push it down to 2% and save a million and I go, yeah, but aren't you putting at risk the $97 million that those people mm. are investing for you? Absolutely. And they don't even see it. Absolutely. Uh, look, you, you, you can't take a, a methodology of remuneration that's worked in one area of business and just lift it up and plonk it into another and expect it to hold true as a, as a usable and workable model. I mean, to your point, owned and earned media is high touch. You know, there is a lot of stuff that needs to be done in those areas that don't necessarily exist in paid areas that mean that this kind of commission equivalency type thing that a lot of clients think about or procurement uh, departments just doesn't hold true. You've got to to break free from that model and say, let's just sit down and analyse. I mean, it's the old risk kind of risk reward reward or cost benefit analysis. What is the benefit of for me and my client or my business? Um, by unlocking this own asset and making it work harder for me. Now, often for a bank or um, a a telco, motoring on an owned asset, getting that asset working for them, can unlock huge value, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars potentially over a four or five-year period. So an investment of 
5, 10, 15 million over that term with an agency to unlock that value with them is a good deal. Yeah. But if you just compare it as a percentage commission, it could, to your point, no it could point. be 20, 30%. Yeah. You, and the procurement department looks and goes, well, hold on a second, that's just, that's well above the odds we're used to paying. But the answer is yes, but their odds you're used to paying in paid media. Yeah. Um, and, you're, and we're not in paid we're media in anymore, media. Toto. So, so, so <laughs> you, you kind of need to be willing to let yourself, let yourself kind of, leave some of that baggage behind and just on on in the cold harsh light of day with a really basic cost benefit analysis say is this asset unlocking the value of this asset yeah. worth the investment that the agency is asking for or the cost that the agency is asking for i'll give you an example um that i recently found out about in australia like energy companies you know mm. they're pretty boring in that you just sign up and then you get your bill every month but there's a um, energy and i think it's red energy or something but right. they've they've launched a phone app that allows you to trade in energy you can wow. buy energy units at off-peak times for use in peak times, and they have special, you know, we've got excess you can buy okay. now. And what they've found is time engaged with the brand through the app has gone off the scale because people are actually every day checking out the, this trading market mm. to see if they can do a better deal. I mean, what a brilliant idea. And imagine trying to work out media equivalents of getting your customers engagement with you for say five or ten minutes a day when they weren't there before what would you pay in media for that well i mean that's the point isn't it i think you know utility brands for a great example of brands that are largely invisible brands mm. you know you don't ever think of the brand that powers your lights you just turn the light switch on and they they light up and that's it so to, to the point you've just made, buying that engagement, actually having a, a, an audience lean into your brand. I mean, that's that you could argue to some extent, if you're in that sector, is invaluable mm. in many respects because it's actually setting you apart from everybody else that's playing in that sector. So, to, you know, again, old world measures. Yeah. Do, do you want to do you want to assess that value through a traditional way of assessing uh, wh whether the agency fee that would be charged for it is mm. is a fair fee or not? My argument would be you have to kind of press the reset button on it. And, I think and what think you have to do is get to value. You know, what's the value to the company? Yeah. And that's where, to me, everything is moving. Is yeah. is and, and data is allowing us to do that. Um, but I want to back up a bit because sure. um, one of the things that uh, you said before is, you know, uh, going back into paid media is a comfort zone for media agencies. Do you think it, the creative agencies uh, making a play to want to have media as part of the offering purely to be convenient to their clients? Or do, do you think it's also they see it as this uh, nirvana of, you know, ready uh, revenue <laughs> that they think that the media agencies have that they could have? I think it's a bit of both. Uh, there, there's no doubt that creative agencies think that media is a profitable enterprise. Yep. Um, and and to to some extent they're a little wrong on that because it I is, know. It, <laughs> I've it, seen the numbers. <laughs> it is it isn't as profitable I think uh, as as some of the creative agencies think. Yeah. And once you account for your overhead for getting a media product underway, syndicated systems and research, a lot of the tools and IT requirements, you know it whittles down those margins very quickly. What I do think creative agencies are doing though by getting into media is they're, they're getting into media by, um, because they acknowledge that media is increasingly at the table, mm. leading conversations on topics that they are either not comfortable with or completely unfamiliar with. 
and they feel they're being intellectually left behind on certain topics, mm. and that scares them. Um, and, and if you look at where the marketplace is moving with dynamic uh, media through mm-hmm. programmatic, yeah. the, natural, the natural evolution of dynamic media will be you place, you place space dynamically, but then the next natural progression is you place messaging dynamically. Mm, of course. Yeah. And you start to have thousands of iterations of creative material mm. that is being pushed out smartly based on triggers and based on a whole range of things. So when it's sunny, I see an ad for a sunscreen. When it's you know raining, I see an ad for, a, for an umbrella. And it's both by the same parent company. And I'm just mm. choosing creative A and creative B dependent upon you know a, the trigger, in this case, the weather, right? That, that, that as a burgeoning area of media and communications is hugely exciting. But the only really group that can have a conversant, smart and relatively kind of informed conversation about that right now today is the media agency. Of course, because they have access to the third-party publisher data, which is the behavioural data of the uh, viewer or the person having the ad served. They know how to do the tagging on the ad serving. They know how to manage and measure all of those units that are being served. So the creative agencies are sitting in meetings and they're hearing about the power of programmatic. They're hearing about the power of dynamic marketing and they're getting concerned that that new frontier that really is the future frontier for the whole industry is an area that they just don't have as much knowledge on as they should. And I think that's why they're getting into media. They're trying to play a little bit of catch up on those things. And the smart ones also acknowledge that when you bring media and creative together, and this isn't rocket science, bring media and creative together, you get a better product. Mm. So the ones that really care about their product, Wyden and Kennedy, could be Silverstein, the, the, some of the leading you know, brands in the world, Droga 5 here in New York, these are brands that have had media thinking at the heart of their creative product for a number of years because they acknowledge that that's a huge part of whether a, a campaign is successful or not. Mm. So I think that they're the main reasons in my head as to why they're kind of getting into it. Because, you know, um, it was famously said that once uh, media and creative were separated, you will never get the toothpaste back into the tube. Mm. But I actually think that uh, the future is media agencies becoming the tube and creative being put back into it. And that's why, you know, with a title of Global Chief Strategy and, and creative, creative Officer... That's a very conscious reason for that being there. Yeah, you know, is is, yeah. is uh, that the trend? Do you see... Because yeah, well, Retma's uh, non-media income or revenue is certainly growing for all the media groups. Yeah. I mean, you could argue, if you wanted to get really kind of, you know... Uh, you know, philosophical here for a moment, you could argue, is the tube even the best thing for toothpaste to be in nowadays, yeah. right? You know, is the tube as useful as it once was? Should we find a new thing to carry our toothpaste in that's better the than a tube? Yeah, a pump or something else. Um, look, I, I, I think the notion of putting one back into the other is kind of, in, in many respects, a little redundant as well because the, the two businesses have fundamentally changed so that they're not even the same things yeah. that they once used to be. I mean, creative agencies aren't what they were when media unbundled back in the late 90s. You know, they're now content businesses, PR businesses, yeah. event marketing and sports sponsorship businesses, and media agencies are the same. I mean, everyone has, has kind of grown. Well, and grown. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to be one going back into the other. What I think it will end up being is the strongest as simple as this, the strongest will survive. Yeah. You, the best creative agencies will continue to survive and they, they will continue to evolve and morph. The best media agencies will continue to survive. And all the other ones, both creative and media, that aren't the best will all wither and die. And we're starting to see that already. I mean, 
and you you see this as a as a guy who's close and, and involved in pitches, and I see it looking at my competitors. The distance between a good agency and a bad agency today has gotten bigger. Yeah. So bigger. you know, tw- ten years ago, the difference between the best agency in town and the crappiest agency in town was marginal mm. because everyone just bought television. And how, how badly can you buy a TV spot? I mean, yet you can buy. Mine, Freddie you, you can, can do it. Yeah. You, 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 you <laughs> could buy maybe a bad combination of programs, but you were still buying a television spot that went to where. And it kind of did some type of a job for the client. I mean, yeah. you could mess it up maybe in the back end with accounting and measurement, and whatever. But really, they saw their ad. They saw their ad. It was it was marginal differences between the best and the worst. Yeah. Now, if you're bad, mm. you are so obviously bad compared to the best because there is so much to know, and there is so many things that can go wrong in a process where the complexity that we have in the marketplace is is, is such that. You know, you you can make errors and you can make oversights and you can make omissions in your planning that previously just weren't there. So, what's happening is you're having a whole bunch of agencies getting relegated to kind of being tier B, tier C, tier D agencies that are becoming uncompetitive, and inevitably clients will just will dry up at that end of town because they'll just say, "Hold hold on, guys, you're just not up to the job." Mm. And I think we'll see a lot of agencies going out of business who haven't been able to evolve at the rate that they needed. And the top guys will just get stronger and stronger and stronger. And there'll just be a heightened concentration of the great agencies. And you'll probably be left with three or four like Megalodon agencies. Mm. They're just the killer agencies. They've got the data under control. They've got the systems. They've got creative and media services combined. And they have the they have the big brands. And I think that's what you'll see. And you're already beginning to see it. Mm. The holding companies are becoming more brand-esque in the way they're operating. I mean, I'm sure you've seen this. Yeah. You know, you're, you're starting to see the kind of the Uber agencies created yeah. where it's you're actually buying, you're buying the media agency in my instance, but you're also buying the network more yeah. than you used to buy the oh, network. The, certainly the holding companies or the network within the holding companies, Absolutely. you know, the, the media, like media brands, mm-hmm. IPG media mm-hmm. brands, is becoming more known than even the agency yeah. brands underneath yeah. them. But there's a, there's a difference in the, my view of the world from what you've just described of these Uber companies. Um, and it's a conversation that I actually had with Henry Tasia uh, six years ago now, where I, I made the observation to Henry that, um, that Hollywood had undergone a transformation that mm-hmm. I could see happening to it, the advertising media marketing area. And that is the number of studios had actually consolidated into smaller numbers. You know, you had Columbia, Columbia um, TriStar, Sony, mm-hmm. because of the consolidation. And we'd seen the same thing with media, you know, it, it consolidated, as you said. But what continues to happen is the proliferation of independent content producers. And we see that with advertising, the advertising market, there is always a new hot agency coming up. Yeah. Now, the reason that the studios have done that is because they become particularly good at knowing the market, knowing the audience, and then knowing the product that needs to be created to mm. go into that. But mm. they don't want to take the risk of the product creation, so they leave that to independent producers. That's where we get the Jerry Brockheimers and the you know, and so on and, and um, uh, Miramax and the rest, right? And the reason is that they get the 
audience right and the segment right. So this summer we need an action film for the 15 to 25-year-olds and then they go out and commission it or buy existing product to put... Do you see that Hollywood model being possibly the way it goes where media becomes or channel becomes the lead here's the audience, we can identify them through data, we know where they are, where they want to be, what they're interested in, yeah. and then we become the acquisition executives that go out and get the content that's needed. Uh, look, I think, yes, but you know what? Largely, advertising's work like that anyway. I mean, if you look at the way a TVC has been created, I mean, most of the time, a lot of those content resources from the agency were being, were being out-of-housed anyway with directors and... The production, some, of it, yeah, yeah. the production but of it, but not the script writing, not the script, script writing and the creative the, kind yeah. of oversight. But yeah. certainly, the, the the actual production of the of the execution was something that was kind of brought in house for a temporary period of time to get the job done. Look, I, I think that the, the the one thing that differs in the Hollywood Hollywood model versus the advertising network model is that the advertising network model is increasingly a closed loop system, mm -hmm. or is becoming a closed loop system where from the very beginning all the way through to the completion, the agency or the network is controlling and, and, yeah. and, and has a data set that touches the entire process. Yeah. And I think that's the one area where maybe we won't see the same degree of out of housing, if you like, or yeah. outsourcing as we might because see Because the responsiveness Correct. to the change and constantly optimising and is experimenting. Exactly. Yeah. is happening through a closed-loop system where the agency is actually seeing data coming in in real time making an adjustment or course correction according to that data in real time, and then maybe pushing out new content or creative based on those things in real time. And that and that requires a in-house model to be able to really sustain. Yeah. If you're working with out-of-houses who are on, or, you know, working for other people and have other schedules and other clients that they're accountable and responsible for, it makes it very difficult to be as real-time as if they're your they're your assets that you control wholly. So mm. I think that's the one big difference. No, I, I, I get that. Yeah. And, yeah, and the only implication of that for me is I can imagine sitting there at a holding company level talking to my shareholders. Yes, we've spent a lot of money acquiring all these creative agencies, but in actual fact, we're either going to fold them into our media agencies or we're going to write them off as redundant assets mm. is the end play mm. of that because you don't actually need all these separate uh, creative agencies. Well, that's true. You need the you need the skill sets that yep. maybe sit in there, but yep. you don't need the agency itself. No. And most holding companies, when you look at the profile, media is consolidated into you know one or two agents, three agency brands, and some go as mm. far as four and five, mm. under one group. But they have lots and lots of content producers mm. out there. Yeah, look, I think it, it, look, it all comes down to what the future definition and direction of creative is going to is mm. going to look like. I mean, historically, creative has been very high touch, very labour intensive. Mm. You know, you, you've planned your ads out months, sometimes even a year or so in advance, and you've worked to get it completely polished and, and you know, finessed in the edit suite and ready for the world to see. That definition and notion of what that creative product looks like is changing. Mm. I mean, creative now is fast turnaround or is increasingly fast mm. turnaround, less finessed and polished, but, you know, speed beats perfection because... Mm. Actually, speed is the thing that is unlocking value for clients, being agile and adaptive. I mean, the example I always give to clients when we have this conversation is, you know, what, what gets the biggest laugh at a stand-up comic event? And, and, gener <laughs> and generally, it's when 
there's an interaction between the audience oh. and the comic. The ad lib, yeah. The ad lib, the, the, heck, the heckler yeah. or the put yeah. down, right? Yeah. And that's because it's a real world, real time interaction between audience mm. and in this instance, brand, let's call the comic the brand. That real time in, in, you know, engagement is the thing that creates the most and biggest emotional response. That in, in a creative sense is true for brands. If I can actually engage with you in real time with my messaging, that is better generally at creating engagement with you, Darren, than if I wait six weeks, finesse a perfect ad and then put it out there for you to see. And so therefore the notions of what creative product looks like is changing. So the, this and, and, is, and so do you need the same architecture in the creative agency yeah. or do you need a platform that can do fast turnaround creative with lots of different variants yeah. to increase engagement and, and conversion? And my, my, my sense is that's where creative is going to go. There'll always be a role for the big, beautiful ad. Mm. But I think creativity, as we know it, is going to have it's going to have its definition slightly adjusted because technology is going to allow creativity to change. Well, um, earlier this week in uh, at the ANA conference in Florida, uh, Michael Farmer from Farmer mm -hmm. & Co was talking about advertising uh, creativity as a um, production process. And uh, he and I had a conversation. I said, Michael, I think you've got it wrong. It's not just a production process. I think the automotive industry is a good example. You prototype and to me, the creation of the big idea, and the big idea is not an ad, the big idea is actually a creative concept that could be used in any channel, is the prototype. You should spend time and, and resources and money getting that right. But then what you need to do is have a very fast, very efficient, very agile and very flexible um, process, production line, that can actually create that in executions from the big idea. Because the concern would be if you don't have that big brand idea that actually informs and is the basis of it, you can, e just interacting all the time, you can easily get oh, off absolutely. track. But um, this is where artificial intelligence is going to completely revolutionise it because you're going to be able to respond in real time in those conversations without necessarily having a creative team sitting there like, um, uh, Mondelez did with the Oreo. Remember the Oreo for the, the Super Bowl? Bowl. Yep. Well, they tried to do that ongoing and they just found it was not cost or time effective yep. to work in real time in the traditional model. But artificial intelligence is going, you know, and thinking uh, programming mm. is going to be able to do that. Look, absolutely. I mean, we've already used this technology, a company called Message AI, we work with to do a, oh, okay. an artificial intelligence campaign on Facebook Messenger for Goosebumps, the movie, oh, yeah. Sony Pictures, where we have one of the, the, the main characters of the movie interact with people in real time on Facebook. Now, through programming that AI on Facebook Messenger, we were able to simultaneously run 200, I think our biggest simultaneous uh, conversation thread was 267 conversations at the same time on wow. Facebook Messenger. Yeah. Now, that's something that a team of social media people sitting in a social media center manually you know, unless you've got a lot of people sitting there. 270 of them. You know, <laughs> unless you've got a lot of them sitting there. That is just, from a resource perspective, it's just unfeasible to do it. But by working with Message AI and building out an AI framework, we were able to hold multiple conversations with consumers at the same time. Now, that's just, that's in its infancy, right? Yeah. We, we've only just started to touch the AI capabilities. But to your point, as AI scales mm. and you start to really have intelligent uh, messaging and, and, and creative capabilities, that then totally changes the types of things you can and can't do through through media. 
That's so, so exciting. Really, that is really so exciting. Yeah. Because uh, you know, a lot of people go, will AI ever be able to create ideas from nothing? And who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, but, yeah. but, you know, and, and that's the holding on to creativity has yeah. to be human-based. Yeah. But, uh, you but know, can they take your idea and, that's and, right. and, and, and that, execute it? Absolutely. So that that's where I see the future then. is yeah. that there's going to be more and more need for really great creative and strategic thinkers to create that idea the big idea, but not execute it as a single idea, but allow it to be executed into millions of smaller ideas that all are directly related Completely. to it. And that's massively exciting. Like for me, that's mm. that that's where media and message become almost, you know, fused in, yeah. in, a, in, in a way that they never have been in the past. So yeah. to me, that's super exciting. No, look, uh, you know, hopefully we'll both still be working in the I, industry I, when I it's working. I hope I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it could be next week it or be, it could it be in could 20 be. years' knows, time. Yeah. Look, uh, Matt, this has been fantastic. I really enjoyed catching up. Unfortunately, I'm sure we could talk about this <laughs> for could. another hour or we so. We could. We could go on forever. But uh, it's great seeing you. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming to visit New York. Yeah, I'm and, here um, every so often yeah, and I'll call in when I do. Thanks, Darren.